So today, uh, we're going to answer the question, what about people who live their whole life on earth from birth till death and they never hear the gospel message? They never even hear it. They're never exposed to the gospel message of salvation through Jesus. Um, now, this is a, a big question, and I hear this given answers. I hear people giving answers to this question online, and they tend to give sort of short summary answers. They don't always support these summary answers with clear teachings of Scripture, and then those answers always lead to more questions. You're like, well, if that's true, then what about... And so my goal tonight is to do a thoughtful, careful, step-by-step -step answering of these issues. I'm going to try to answer as many questions as I can related to the topic. And what I'll do uh, is then open it up to Q&A at the end. And don't hold back. You know, if you have a question, if you're like, but what about this or what about that? Like, please ask it. I mean, the worst I can do is tell you I don't know, <laughs> which, which I'm, I'm, I'm open to doing that. <laughs> but if I can, I'll give, I'll give an answer. Because I have a theory when it comes to tough issues. I think, and this is my opinion, I think that there are threads of wisdom going through the scriptures where when you pull in these other different ideas throughout the text of the 66 books, you get a really thorough answer for what might seem like a tough question. And I've seen it happen over and over again. So my theory is that it's there a lot more than we realize because sometimes we just don't consult the text that much. Um, so instead of a short answer, here's a long answer. Um, what about people who never hear the gospel message? Okay, so before I can give a, a simple, short answer to that question, I need to establish some truths. The first question is, what is it really that causes people to be condemned in the first place? Like, why would anyone go to hell? Like, why would anyone be apart from God? Um, the answer is this. It, it is not because they didn't hear about Jesus. This is something commonly said. I hear people say it like the only real sin is, is, is rejecting the gospel. And I'll be like, well, if that was really literally true, then murder is not bad. So, I mean, so obviously, there's, obviously that's a, a very crass way of putting it. It's like that's not obviously true um, on, its, on its surface. So the first thought is this. Wrath is on us because of sin, not merely because of unbelief. Unbelief is a sin in and of itself, but it's not all there is. It's not the only sin that exists is unbelief. Wrath is on us, the wrath of God, because of the sins we've committed. Not only is there things like lying that we've all done, theft, blasphemy against God, um, not loving, which is the greatest commandment, to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love my neighbor as myself. I've not done this, and so I've brought wrath upon myself by, by not being loving. I may not feel that's a big deal, but God seems to. <laughs> God seems to think love is a big deal. It's his, it's his primary thing. Um, but also, Jesus comes along and he exposes to us how God is going to judge. Obviously, the person who never hears the gospel doesn't hear this message, but I'm trying to establish here what does the scripture teach us about, about how God is going to judge. Um, he shows us that hatred in your heart is seen as murder. To hate someone in your heart without cause, that's murder in your heart. We tend to think, oh man, you just thought it and didn't do it, it's okay. And it was okay to look but not touch. Jesus said, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. To which every human's like, are you saying I'm not a good person? To which we say, yes, that's the point. That's the, that's the point. I'm not a good person. None of us are actually good in the sense of that God is good. I might be good at sports. I might be a good friend. But I'm not good like holy. I'm not like that. Um. Jesus goes on, he, he talks about how there's some people, in, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, how some people do good, but they do it for wrong reasons. 
How you give, but you give so others might see you giving. You pray, but you pray so others might see you praying. How there's these religious activities we do for the sake of other people watching us and how that is, means nothing to God. It means absolutely nothing to God. And so Romans 3.23 kind of summarizes mankind's condition this way. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is something we've established well in our Roman series, but this is something that has to be said before you can answer the question, what about people who never hear the gospel? Well, let's, before they never hear the gospel, they sin and fall short of God's glory. This is something we need to recognize. Wrath comes upon us because of sin. It stays upon us because of unbelief. But that's, that's an important distinction. Because I've heard people say, I can't believe in a God who would send someone to hell just because they didn't believe in Jesus. And I'll be like, that's not Christianity. <laughs> like, that's not what the Bible teaches. People don't go to hell because they just didn't believe. They go to hell because of their, their, their wrath that's on them because of their wicked sins. Unbelief is the thing that keeps it that way. I like the analogy of a firefighter. Imagine a firefighter, they, they, they come up to a call and the call is a result of you. And here you are, you're in a building playing with fire. And the fire catches, you know, you didn't realize toilet paper burns so fast. A lesson I learned at a young age. Um, and so, so there you are, you know, writing your name with spray paint and then lighting it on fire to see what it would look like. And you set the building on fire. And the firefighter comes and crash through the window comes the ladder of the firefighter. And he climbs up the ladder and he says, he says, I'm your only way out. Come to me and I will save you. And you look at him and you say, you know, I'm really offended by the idea that the only way out of this fire is down your ladder. That's very rude. And you burn to death and die. <laughs> Feeling very justified <laughs> about your position. <laughs> but you see, if the, if the firefighter had caused the fire, I could see your problem. But you caused the fire. And this is the same situation. It's like I caused the wrath through my sins, through my wickedness, through my evil. And therefore, I cannot shake my fist at God if I reject the one way out. You know, I caused the fire. That, that, that was the initial cause. So Jesus is the cure. He is not the cause for condemnation. He's the cure. Uh, condemnation does increase if you hear the gospel and reject it. Jesus talks about these cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida, which rejected his message. And he goes, oh, it's going to be worse for you now because you have rejected the message. So for the one who's never heard the gospel versus the one who's heard it and rejected it, well, that, that person's worse off than the person who never heard. But the, the never hearing is not the cause of their condemnation. Some people, um, another issue, some people enter in, uh, the way I'm going to do this tonight is I'll go through one issue after another after another. And as we answer all these different issues, it should do, be like a tapestry, like it draws a big picture of all the details uh, that should answer our questions about this. Some people, they enter in the conversation going, is God really fair when he you know, condemns people, only save some people and doesn't save others or something along those lines? Um, for that person who's really stumbling over that issue, if God is really fair to condemn some and forgive others, I think what we have to do is realize that fair would mean we all go to hell. Based on scripture, a biblical teaching is that fair would mean everyone is condemned, everyone is lost. That's actually fair. That's actually justice, right? If a thousand murderers walk into a courtroom, a thousand murderers should walk out and, and go to prison or worse. That would be fair. Now, if one of them got a pardon or another got a pardon for some particular reason, and then we got mad that all didn't get pardoned, 
and said that wasn't fair, well, you would, you'd have to say, wow, you have to have a... Actually, what you need is a good excuse to pardon any of these guys. That's, that's the truth. You need a really good reason to pardon any of these people. And it's the same case for us. I'm going to say something that seems kind of extreme, but I think that if you think about it rationally instead of emotionally, you'll, you'll understand. If, if people lived and died and there was no gospel, Jesus never died on the cross for us. If we lived, lived sinful lives, and then died and were judged, God would be just. If every human had been condemned because of their sins and no human was saved, if all the murderers went to jail, so to speak, God would be just and fair. That would actually be fair. You see, salvation is a grace thing. And one mistake people make is thinking that grace is deserved. Hey, what about grace? Don't I get grace? Like I deserve it. Like I, I, it belongs to me. It's something that I'm owed. If, you, if it's owed to you, it's not grace. You know, grace is a, a merciful kindness that God gives us. So fortunately, that's not the whole story, right? We have the gospel. We have Jesus paying the price for our sins. Um, but this is a merciful grace. And some people ask the question, what about the unsaved? What about the people who've never heard the gospel message? As though they deserve to be saved. As though they have some, they're, a right fair thing would be at least half of them should be saved, right? Like 50%. Like just like, just pick a percentage. That doesn't make a lot of sense once you look at the reality of, of humankind. Okay, but that's not the whole story. Thank God this is not the whole story. I'm just drawing, I'm just trying to put little, little pieces in place that will help guide us in our connect the dots <laughs> to figure out this, the big picture view and answer to this question. Um, the next question is this. What does man really know? What about the person who, who never hears the gospel? Well, what did they hear? What are they aware of? And if you've been with me in the Romans study, then you know that there's two things that every man is aware of, that all humans have a sense of accountability for based on scripture. And it says uh, in Romans 1 verses 19 and 20, because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So the first thing that every man's accountable to know, I'm not talking about infants, that's a different study altogether, but every, every person's accountable to know is that there is a God. You can tell this by looking around. You can see through creation that there's a creator. And whether you're deep in the sciences or if you just have never been exposed to that stuff, you can still look around and see the evidence for God around you. That's, this, is, this, is, this is good stuff. That means the person who never heard is not they never heard nothing. There might be things they don't know, but it's not that they don't know anything. They know there's a God. And the second thing they know, you could probably guess, right? It's morality. They know about God and they know about morals, right, wrong, sin. They know these things. So Romans 2, 14 through 16, it talks about this, about Gentiles who don't have the revelation of, of Moses and this sort of stuff. It says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, like not murder, not steal, not, not do those sorts of things. Um, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show, they demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts. What do we call that? Their conscience, also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And so their thoughts accuse them or excuse them. This, again, this is Romans 2, verses 14 through 16. You know, I haven't, of course I know what's right and wrong. I just naturally know what's right and wrong. I might be a little off on some of the details, but I know there's right and wrong. And I can pretty well know that when I, when I did that, it was wrong. And when I did that, it was the right thing to do. But then, check this out. Verse 16 of Romans 2. 
this kind of blows my mind. It says, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. The conscience of people will accuse or excuse them in the day, in the judgment day. Meaning that an unbeliever who did not receive the law, who didn't have the Old Testament, they will be brought up and God will judge them based on the morals that they were aware of. They're, they're, God could, could sort of say, here's your conscience. Let me, let me show you what you did. Now let me show you what you knew when you did it. Your own conscience will accuse or excuse you. So this is, this is, this is fair. This is a just uh, judgment. So there's a knowledge of God and there's a knowledge of morality. And there is, of course, in that an awareness that I've failed. Obviously, an unbeliever who has never heard any of this information from the Bible could respond to these internal awarenesses of God from creation and conscience. This is what we call general revelation. That's the, the theological term for it, meaning it's been revealed generally to all of mankind. And we have another term called special revelation, and that refers to like God giving you some, something that's not generally to all mankind. The scripture is considered special revelation, um, a, a dream from the Lord, or some, somehow God just showing you something. That would be a special revelation. You know, he showed it to you, but didn't show it to every human on earth. So every man knows there's a God. Every man knows that there's a moral law and that we don't follow it. Um, that's what every man knows. I think we can start there. We can start there with realizing, okay, justice would, would have us all condemned. And every man is aware that there's God. Every man is aware of morality. So we're no longer looking at, is God fair or not? We're now asking a different question. Lord, how do you handle this? It's not, are you fair? I'm not worried about the goodness of God in this debate, in this question. I'm just trying to understand now, as a Christian, what about those people who haven't heard? Did they respond? If they respond to this awareness of God and this awareness of morals, are they somehow saved? Is that enough? Is that enough to somehow bring them to Jesus somehow? But they've never even heard the name Jesus. They don't know anything about the atonement or anything. So I want to look now at some biblical examples, Old Testament examples of people and I want to be very careful how I say this because I know I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> People who were saved without the New Testament knowledge of the gospel. People who were saved without full knowledge of the gospel. They may have had some sort of seed knowledge, but you couldn't have called it the gospel. It would have been information maybe somehow related to Christ, his future coming, some little tiny piece of it, but that you wouldn't have been able to call it the gospel any more than you can call uh, like an acorn, an oak tree. You know, they might be related, but one's not the other. So, so this, is, this is where we'll go. Um, in fact, the first one we'll look at is Abraham. Um, Abraham, in Romans 4, Paul labors hard to show us that Abraham was saved by what? Faith. He works hard at it. In, re, in, in Romans 4, 3, he talks about it. Wasn't Abraham justified by faith? And then he quotes Genesis 15, 6 where it says, Abraham believed God and God accounted it to righteousness for Abraham. So Abraham was righteous by faith. We're talking Genesis here. We're talking Old Testament guy who believed God and was counted righteous. This was before the law, so he didn't have any of the law of Moses. This was before the cross, so he didn't have any knowledge of Jesus. But Abraham was clearly this Old Testament saint, saved by faith. And what, what did he believe? He believed God when God, God gave him special revelation, so it wasn't just general. It wasn't just creation and conscience. There was more. He had revelation that God was going to multiply his seed and bless the whole earth through him. And that relates to Jesus, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the ultimate seed of Abraham. But he doesn't know all these details yet. It's still a mystery revealed later in the gospel. Uh, 
So Abraham's one example. He's someone who was saved by faith, but not full knowledge of Jesus. And I think this is important. I think this is important. Um, let's look at some other Old Testament examples. Um, Naaman. In fact, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read the story of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian general from, from Syria, believe it or not. And he was a leper. He had gotten leprosy. Now, in the Old Testament text, the word leprosy is often used to talk about all manner of skin diseases. So it may or may not be uh, the particular disease we think of today when we say leprosy. It could have been a whole host of different skin-related diseases. Um, maybe he was, you know, like something related or similar. We don't know. But it was definitely something that seemed to be incurable, seemed to be very serious and bad. Um, and this Syrian general, Naaman, he comes to the king of Israel and he asks for healing. And the Syrians here are more powerful than the Jews at this point in time. And so the, the king of Syria is like, hey, here's my servant. My, my servant, he's special to me. Heal him. And the king of Israel starts pulling out his hair. He tears his clothes. He's like, oh, he's just looking for a reason to come kill us. Like, right? He's just looking for a, a cause to start a war. And Elisha, the prophet, he gets connected with this general. And he tells him that what you need to do is you need to go and, I'm giving you a short version of the story. You need to go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. The Syrian general is offended by this. And he's like, I go out to see this prophet. I'm, a, I'm an important man, you know. He doesn't even come down. I thought he'd wave his hands over me or something. I thought he'd binny hin me or something, you know. And, uh, and no, no, he just, tell, he just sends word from his messenger, go dip yourself in the Jordan. Now, the Jordan River is not the cleanest river in town. And so he's offended. He's like, we got better rivers up where I live. You know, why am I, why come down here to dip in rivers? And his servants come and they go, they go, Naaman, if he'd asked you to do some great, powerful deed, you would have done it. He just wants you to go dip in the water. Why not just go do it? So he humbles himself. He dips in the water. He gets healed. And he has a total life change. He's like, the, you know, the power of this moment is not lost on him. He's like, the God of Israel is actually real. And he knows that this means that all the other gods are false. And so let's read verse 15. He says uh, in 2 Kings 5 verse 15, it says, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant, and look at his request, be given two mule loads of earth, he wants dirt from Israel, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord, to Yahweh. That's who he's going to offer these things to. That's what he wants the dirt for. He's going to build an altar where he can, he can offer sacrifice and, and pay homage to, to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. This is, isn't that interesting? This, he got converted, is, is what we're reading. Um, then in verse 18, it says, Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, remember his king, the king of, of uh, Syria, when my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow in the temple of Ramon, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. It seems that the king would go in with his general into the temple of Ramon, and then the king would bow. Well, the king, it seems, needed help walking. And so he, being the general, was his job to help him. So he would bow too. And he's like saying, I'm bowing to help him. It's my duty. But I'm not bowing to this false god. It, can I be forgiven for this? I'm not worshiping this false god. I have a duty here. 
it shows that I think the Bible is recognizing that there are sometimes really complicated issues that we're dealing with that are ethical issues where it's like, oh, this is a challenging one. You know, it's not clear cut and dry. I'm not offering to this thing, but, but, but he needs help and I'm supposed to because it's my position in the government. How do I handle this? And, um, and so look at what he says. He says to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. And then there's more story, that interesting story that continues there. But that's pretty much it for Naaman and the sake of him, him being a believer in Yahweh, the God of Israel. What is he told? He's told, go in peace. It seems to me that Naaman is, is, is responding in faith. He's repented of worshiping these false gods. And I do believe we're going to see Naaman in heaven. I think that that's a, a, a safe reading of the text. What did, what, did he, what did he know? I mean, he wasn't even under the covenant of Israel. You can't even say, well, he was under the law. The law is how he got saved. Like, nobody ever got saved through the law. Like, the Bible seems to be pretty clear on this. If he was saved, it was through Jesus. But he didn't know that much about Jesus. No, but he knew, see, Yahweh is Jesus, guys. <laughs> so he had his faith in God just not knowing all the details yet. It was like, I believe in this acorn, even though it's not yet the tree. I don't know all the details yet. I don't know what it's going to become, but I believe this. And that's what we see Naaman doing. Um, now turn to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have a, a passage that deals with a whole group of people who got saved by faith, apart from works. They got saved by faith. And look at the list. Let's look at the list. There's several of them here. And I'm going to argue, and I'll show you why, in the text in Hebrews. They're not just being lifted up because they had some type of faith. They believe God for something. But they're being lifted up because they actually were saved. Eternal life saved. And that's in the end of the last three verses or four verses we go through will, I think, make it clear that these people were saved. Um, so let's look at this. Starting in verse 39 of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 39 says, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So the context is we're talking about genuine faith. Faith that lasts all the way through and that you, you get saved. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, I, I take that to be a, a description of faith, not a definition of faith. There is a difference. I think faith definitionally is, is a choice to trust, um, a personal choice to trust something. It doesn't mean unseen, like I'm like blind faith. That's a different issue. But what does faith look like when you look at someone who has faith? It looks like the substance of things hoped for. Like, man, that's the things they're hoping for. I see it in their faith. The evidence of the things they don't see, um, I see that in their faith. Uh, so it's what faith looks like, not what faith is. There's a difference. There's what a dog looks like and what a dog is. Anyway, that's another study. Just, just, just a bonus, just for free. All right, verse 2, it says, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now we'll talk about those elders. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Interesting. Science has recently caught up with that. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God's testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. Abel, he had general revelation, right? But he also had some special revelation too, right? I mean, he's offering sacrifices. Like, you don't get that from general revelation. He had some kind of knowledge. There was more that Adam and Eve knew, that, the, that their kids knew, than that was not all written down for us. So, but he offers a sacrifice. He has faith. He's te it testifies he's righteous by this faith. That's interesting, right? Abel was saved in the New Testament sense of saved. Um, but he had only a little bit of knowledge compared to the gospel that was revealed later. Verse 5, by faith Enoch, 
Enoch, he was the seventh from Adam uh, in the genealogy, was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That he pleased God. Verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This applies, of course, to that person who is off in some foreign land. Is God not a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Doesn't he want to be found? So if you are responding to creation, responding to your conscience, and you are diligently seeking God, do you not think he will reward that? Of course, of course he will. This is part of who he is. It's not part of who we are. It's part of who he is. He is. So Enoch is another example of someone who's saved with, you might call it seed faith or faith in... Now, don't, I'm not TV preaching here because to them, seed faith is money you give them. I'm talking about <laughs> something entirely different. <laughs> Without faith, uh, it would be impossible to please him. So Enoch has faith, even though it might not be in the full knowledge of everything here, but it is certainly faith in the... It, it's accurate faith. There's another example, verse 7. By faith, Noah... Being divinely warned of these of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah was saved by faith. But this faith isn't specifically a message of Jesus, is it? It's a message about the ark. It's a message of God's judgment. Now we look and we say the ark is a whole picture of Christ. And we see these beautiful things in there. So we see his faith was pointed at Christ, but without full knowledge of Christ. It's a seed faith in that sense. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out, called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. That's me sometimes, just the last part. By faith he dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham had this faith. And it's demonstrated. But what he believed was not, it doesn't say, and by faith, he believed that Jesus would come and die on the cross for his sins and rise again. It's not the death and resurrection, but it's connected to it in some way. That's what we're seeing is the commonality, I think, between these. Um, Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, one from one man, And him, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now it summarizes the description of all these people, and it shows that this is a salvation faith that they had. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they they seek a homeland. And if they, uh, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's talking about eternal life. They have this eternal salvation. So that whole list in Hebrews 10, they had saving faith. In, a, in something I would, I would say as we kind of just put it all together, we go, okay, so there's like, they're believing in things related to Jesus, but if it's not the, it's not the full knowledge of the gospel. Um, that would be, I think, a safe way to put it. Um, so if I was going to answer the question, is general revelation, creation and conscience, is that enough for me to be saved? I would say I don't have an example of that in scripture. The examples in scripture all had some measure of special revelation. 
though it doesn't mean that they necessarily had the Bible or they had necessarily the full gospel message, but they had some measure of special revelation. Abel's making sacrifices. Where did he learn this? You know, he had some measure of special revelation. Um, so general revelation uh, may or may not be, probably is not enough, but it is enough to position us for special revelation. I see creation conscience, so I, I grope for God. I, I reach for God. I desire to find God. And there's a, a scripture I want to share with you related to this, if I can find it in my notes. Um, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, Paul's preaching here. And he says, again, it's Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. He's preaching to Gentiles here, to, to, to non-Jews. And it says, And he has made from one blood, God made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That God is accessible to the world as they, if they seek him. God wants them to grope for him and find him. That's his desire. The question is, will they grope? Will they, will they reach out for the Lord? Will they be desperate for God? Will they call upon the Lord? And we can say, like anecdotally, that we've have, we have many stories of missionaries and, and, and individuals who will talk about how when they, they were like, God, if you're real, I must reveal yourself to me. And then God does something to reveal himself to him. And even some non-believers would say they did this God did something and they ignored it. <laughs> and you show, well, you don't really want him if that's the case. Um, so let me give you guys three truths that I want to summarize so far. As I've been doing a survey of trying to pull these threads together from scripture. One, God wants people to be saved. We talked about this in, in you know, that God is not, God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This really is a universal love. He wants everyone to be saved. This is his desire. Um, but he allows us to have free will. He allows us to make choices and live with those choices. Number two, people can respond to general revelation. General revelation, creation and conscience, is enough to get someone onto their knees seeking God. And certainly, it has caused this in many, many cases. And number three, God responds to those who seek him. To grope for him that we might find him. As it says in Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And God's like, I'm an interactive God. <laughs> and I, I want you to know me. Now, bad news. <laughs> this seems to be a pretty rare thing. How many people really are like this? Where they're out somewhere and they're in maybe a pagan culture. Surrounded by false religions. And then they realize, like, this is a bunch of baloney right here. Like, you have, like, a wooden idol and you're bowing before it. Like, you made that, dude. Like, and, they, and, they, and, they're, and the lights go on, you know. And they, learn, and they turn to God and they go, God, I, I want to know the real God, the maker of the heaven and earth. I want to know this God. How often does this happen? I think the answer from Scripture is, is that it's probably very rare. It's extremely rare. It's not the normal thing. I think that that seems to be fairly clear. You don't see it happening all the time. It's these certain examples carried through you know, all sorts of time of history. And that's unfortunate. That doesn't speak to God. His general revelation's there. It speaks to man. We flippantly cast off general revelation. We flippantly ignore our conscience and sear it and continue in sins that once we felt bad about, now we're like, who cares? This, this speaks to the fact that, again, the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness of man. 
Um, another point, forgive me if this seems sporadic, uh, kind of random, uh, but this is just how I came, how it came together for me. Another point is this, if these people are saved, they are saved through Jesus. They're not saved by any other fashion. Jesus alone is the payment for my sins. Abraham was saved, right? He didn't know the full gospel, but he was saved, putting faith in the true God, the true Yahweh. And Jesus came, he paid the price for Abraham's sin. Abraham approaches God through Jesus. Enoch through Jesus. Abel through Jesus. There's only one way to get to God. It's through Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we may be saved. That's the name of Jesus. So he's the one that has to save you. But we have examples of scripture in scripture of people who didn't know that name, but were saved. So I think that that's... Um, I think that's why I use that's why I use the term a seed faith, faith in the seed, but not knowing the full development of this thing. So they had faith in Christ, not knowing exactly who Christ was. But now that I've said this, it brings up a host of new questions, doesn't it? You're like, but wait a minute, Mike, are you saying? And now this is where most videos will just turn off and stop. And I want to now address those questions. <laughs> I want to deal with the difficult questions to the best of my ability and be very transparent about it. Um, I do think we can say that their faith was in Christ, even if not fully knowingly. And I think we have a strong biblical case for this because first Peter talks about how the prophets wrote about this coming Messiah, but didn't even know really how this would look yet. They had faith in the coming Messiah. Yeah. They don't, they don't realize exactly about his death and resurrection. So they don't know all the details. They have faith in the person, but not understanding the program. If that makes sense. Um, I get that. It's like, it's like you're, you're, you're drowning and someone reaches their hand out you grab the hand you don't know who it's attached to, <laughs> but you grab the hand, you get saved. And, you know, they, they grab the hand, not fully understanding all the details. Um, so did they know the name Jesus? Did they believe in his death and his resurrection? No. I mean, you, you want to, I know as a, as a Christian who loves Jesus and loves the gospel, I want to say, yeah, yeah, Abraham believed in the death and resurrection of Christ. <laughs> but I can't say this based on scripture, can I? He didn't know the name. He didn't. No, the death and resurrection. He believed things like he thought when, when he would slay his son, that God would raise him up. So there's these things related, you know? That's related, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just like a seed faith, but he didn't know those details. Um, but this is a truth I have to be really, really careful with. So let's be careful with this. Okay, it's like if, if you said, Mike, is there ever a good reason to divorce? Is it ever justified to get a divorce? And I turn to you and I say, yes, it is. But let's be very careful with this information. <laughs> Like, don't use this to now act like all divorces are fine and dandy because Mike said it was okay. There are rare scenarios, yes, but let's be careful with them. We need to be very careful with this. Um, what seems consistent in these people, these names we've gone th through, is an idea of repentance and faith. They did have a sense of repentance. They did have faith. And they turned to the true God. And if you want to say, how little can you know and still be saved? I am not going to answer that question. I don't know how to answer that question. I'm sorry. That's a big, I don't know. It's presumptuous. We don't know. We just know this. Every example in the scripture of someone who gets saved without full knowledge of Jesus had more than just general revelation. They also had some kind of special information from God beyond general revelation. That we can say. Um, does this remove the need to share the gospel? Hey, man, maybe they're just going to get saved anyways, right? They got general revelation. I don't need to. And, and I would say no, 
because this thing seems extremely rare and because throughout the Bible we have examples, especially right Acts in the book of Acts in particular, we have examples of the gospel going into an area where people had general revelation, rejected it, worshiped false gods, ignored their conscience, the gospel goes out and many of them get saved. So yes, if, if you use this to remove the need to share the gospel, then you are, um, uh, something's wrong with you and spiritually. And, uh, um, here's another question. Is it possible to do harm by sharing the gospel? Let's say that you encounter this rare individual who really has special revelation from God, somehow vision, dream, awareness in their hearts. Some, uh, some, I don't know, a page, a page of the Bible falls out of the sky. Like somehow God reaches them and you encounter them and you tell them all about Jesus and they go, oh, I don't like that at all. And they reject it. I'm just going to say, I believe this will never happen. This will never happen. This person is poised and ready for the gospel. They have already believed in the seed. They'll believe in the tree. You know, this is, this is just natural for them. And I think we have scripture to support this. Jesus kind of answers this. In John 6, 45, he says to the Jews, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. The principle here is that if you've heard and learned from Jesus or from the father, you know, through the revelation he's previously given, you're going to come to Jesus when you hear this message. You will receive it. In fact, he uses his presence in Jerusalem and in Judea as the indicator of whether or not they've really even listened to the stuff God has already told them. If you have listened, of course you'll come to Christ. But here's the good news. If you haven't listened and then Jesus shows up, you still might come. You know, this might be the turning point for you. So there's only hope. It's only good news when the gospel goes out. In John 5, 46 and 47, he said something similar. John 5, 46, 47, it says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I think this, I'm drawing a principle out of this. I'm not saying that, those, that, that person with general revelation has, has Moses as, as a testimony to them. I'm saying if you believe general revelation, you respond to, to the, your moral, you know, needs for God. You reach out to God. God reveals himself to you. You have faith in the true God. That true God sends a messenger to you. You're going to believe this. You know, like you're going to receive it. You're, you won't do harm by sharing the gospel. Um, um, and then, of course, uh, we have to answer the question about other religions. Are we saying that a sincere Buddhist, sincere Hindu, sincere Muslim, sincere Hare Krishna, sincere you name it, are we saying that this person might really be saved? Is that what we're saying? And I think the answer is, is no. But let me, let me explain why. Because false religion inherently involves a rejection of God. False religion is a rejection of God. So like if, I'm, if I believe in Hinduism, I'm rejecting the God of creation who's revealed in the scripture. If you're going to see a person who is involved in that Hindu culture, who through general revelation and, and conscience prays, seeks God, God reveals himself to him, he gets saved in some sense, you know, well, in a real sense, but it just wouldn't look exactly like you. Um, and then you go to the culture and you meet this guy. You're going to see that he is not worshiping these false Hindu gods. He's pulling away from that stuff because of the truth that he's received. You would see him as being the one in the room going, no, this stuff's not right. These guys don't get it. You know, he's the one resisting that sort of thing. That's what you'd see. So I don't think we can say like maybe this sincere, and as if sincere means good anyways. Like I could sincerely hate you. Like sincere doesn't mean good. Like it just means genuine, you know. Um, the examples that we have are guys like Naaman who goes back to Syria and refuses to worship the gods that they have. That would be the example I'd look for 
if I was finding this person in some culture, the one who's separated himself from the ungodliness around him, and he's living a life like he knows it, like he gets it, you know. So the saved pagan would separate themselves from those things. Faith is required, not ignorance. This is another point to make. Faith is required, not ignorance. It might be an incomplete faith. It might not be full knowledge of every detail, but it's faith, not ignorance. So it can't just be like, well, they don't know anything, so maybe they're saved. Like, that's not enough. (laughs) That's not enough. Um, I think that if there is someone who's a Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, and they're in some other religion and they're sincerely seeking God, I think this greatly increases the likelihood of them actually getting saved. Of God leading them out of that Buddhism, out of that Hinduism, out of those different religions and stuff like that. And that really encourages me. Encourages me. And now let me give you one last verse and then we'll do Q&A stuff. Um, last verse is Revelation 5.9. I'm not entirely sure what to do with this verse, but I but it does it does apply to what we're talking about and I think... I want to bring it into it. So Revelation 5, 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There are tribes who have come and gone without ever having the gospel come to them. But here in Revelation, it seems, if, I, if you take it the way that I would understand this passage, that someone from that tribe got saved. Now, they didn't worship the false gods of their religious background. They didn't stay with the paganism of their culture. No, but someone from that tribe got saved. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. So that God is, God is at work saving people. Um, is probably the minority. I don't, I, don't, I don't think this is a case for the majority of humans get saved. I think that the implication I understand from Scripture is this is a minority of people. But it's the decision they make to seek God, respond to Revelation. God reveals more. And, uh, and they're saved in the same fashion as uh, Naaman or Job or Abraham or, or Abel or one of those guys. Or Rahab, one of them girls. So... Um, Here's one last thought, and, and I'm going to share this. I'm going to share this at the end because um, I think it's the implication of Scripture, and, and I I think it matters uh, to say it, even though it's unsettling. Here's my last thought: is this, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. This is what I think the Scripture is implying. Jesus said that woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, because if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Now, I take that at face value, and I take it that Jesus is like, if I had showed up in Sodom and Gomorrah and done my ministry in Sodom and Gomorrah, death and resurrection, all that there, they would have actually repented. So here's a question, last question I'll ask is this, is, is it possible that there's people who, if they had heard of the message or if, they, if someone had approached them like a missionary or something, they would have been saved, but no one approached them, and so they stayed in their sin, and they were rightly condemned, they were rightly condemned, but they might have been saved had they heard, had they heard more, had somebody reached out to them in a greater way. I think the implication of scripture is yes. Now this stirs my heart to evangelism more than anything. I know there's people who think, you know what? If you don't witness to your neighbor, somebody else will. And if they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved. And it sort of makes you feel like, oh good. (sighs) 
don't have to worry about it, right? I'm not sure that that's true. I think that what Jesus said, he actually meant. Now, you might say, well, then why didn't Jesus come to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, then he'd be in Sodom and Gomorrah saying, I'm glad you repented, but unfortunately, the Greco-Roman world is really going to suffer now because I came to you instead of to them. So there is a balancing of, of God choosing when to do things and how to do them. And, um, and there's cost and consequence based on all that stuff. So I'm not at all impugning God's goodness and his choice to do these things. But if Jesus is, if Jesus's statement is meant to be quite literally true, then he's saying that we should be evangelizing because there's people that may receive the gospel if we share it and, and if not, they may stay in their sin. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I, this is real life. We're living real life where my actions really make a difference. And me sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people really changes their eternity. I'm not playing. It's not a play. I'm acting my part. This is real life. That's my understanding of it. So let's pray. And then I want to take your guys, your guys' questions um, and thoughts as well. Um, Father, we, we approach this, this topic. Um, it is heavy. Um, it is heavy on our hearts now. <laughs> it is now if it wasn't before. <laughs> and um, Lord, we know that the world rightly deserves wrath. We rightly deserve wrath. We know that, um, that you love us, that you want us to know you. And we, we just pray, Lord, for the believers amongst us here and who are listening right now. We pray for, for us that we would have a passion and a zeal, a sense of urgency to share the truth of Christ with this world. Realizing that they're justly condemned, but that this gospel message may be the thing when they hear it, where faith comes by hearing. But we, we don't accuse you, Lord. We don't lift our, our, our fists up to heaven like fools, thinking that you are in any way in error or in flaw. God, we're just so grateful that the gospel is there. May we be zealous to go out and share it. And we pray for this. We pray for all the ministries around the world that are, that are pushing evangelism. We pray for the churches that are kind of dead when it comes to evangelism. We pray that you'd stir up your body to evangelize and to witness to their friends and their family, to the coworkers, to strangers, to witness in love, not to try to prove a point, but to try to invite people to come to know Christ. And we pray, Lord God, for, um, for your glory in, in people's salvation to happen more and more. We know you love them. And we thank you so much um, that the gospel went into our lives somehow and changed everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen.